Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by Elec825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and the 97.5 Network, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, we are going to get oh. right what? Oh, I thought you were going to ask me if I watched Thursday Night Football. You just weren't even going to let me get the question. Exactly. Yeah. You, about it. you didn't miss anything last night. Okay. All right. There was nothing good. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are going to talk more football momentarily. Going to be joined by gridiron great Icky Woods. He's actually on the line, so why don't we bring him on and, and get things started, Jeff? Uh, thrilled to be joined by gridiron great Icky Woods. Icky, are you there? I am. What's going on, fellas? Uh, we are thrilled to get to talk to you. Uh, it's exciting times. We wanted to. We'll get to all your work with gridiron greats in a minute, but we want to start with a Philly angle that Jeff found. You played your college ball with Randall Cunningham for a year, winning the conference title in the California Bowl. What was it like to play with him? And what'd you say? Oh, man, it was unbelievable to play with Randall, man. Randall did some things, man, that were very unbelievable, you know, and I knew he'd have a a great uh, pro pro career because I was uh, actually a freshman coming in, and he was a senior. Uh, My freshman year, senior year, man, and just to sit back and, watch the amazing things that he did in college. Uh, you think he did some things in the pros, man. He did twice as much of that in college, man. He was just a all-around athlete, great quarterback, and also a great person. What was it like to, to see Randall develop the way that he, is, he did and then also to watch how he continued to develop in the NFL? Oh, it was awesome to watch, man. You know, seeing that I – played with him in college and some of the things that he did when he got to the pros, he was like, Oh, they go, they go, they go, they go hook a duke. That's what we used to call him, hook a duke. They go hook a duke up there getting it in, but he hey man, he was the he was a talent man. We we knew when he uh left there that he was gonna be a great NFL player. And not only a great player, he was also a great punter. He punted for us in college, so you know, when he got up there and boomed a 70-yarder in the NFL, I I knew that he had it in him because he kicked for us in college. So we, we were, you know, we do a lot of research before we have guests on the show. And, and Jason and I were looking and we're going, the two most famous college football players from UNLV are you and Randall Cunningham. But as we're going through that, we actually saw that there's another guy on that team who became pretty famous. Was Suge Knight a teammate of yours? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, Marion Knight. Yeah, his name, his real name is Marion. Yeah, he was a he was a teammate of ours. Yeah, good dude actually. He was a good dude, man. I don't know what 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 turned him to go down the path that he chose, but uh, he was a good 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 friend of mine in college, man. He was a, he was a, he's a good dude. Yep. So so you get from UNLV to the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, drafted in the first round and had an amazing freshman season. What was it like for you to have the kind of season that you had that included going to the Super Bowl? Well, it was an unbelievable season, man. Never, you know, I knew I had the the ability to play at the next level, but I got with a team who was uh, uh, trying to make strides for themselves and, you know, coming off a 4-12 and season the year before, you know, they – they made adjustments and guys uh, made commitments to each other. And I just so happened to come along at a time where these guys uh, were meshing together and just so happened to, to, to fit right into the mold 
and be the type of running back that they needed to help us get to the Super Bowl. So I remember that season a lot because it was when I was really becoming a fan of, of football and watching a lot. And so I, I couldn't dance well, but I definitely remembered the icky shuffle and may have embarrassed myself trying to do that a time or two. How did that come about? You, you, you and me both. <laughs> so my understanding, what Jeff found here is that you previewed that for your mom and, and she didn't quite encourage you to go do that. How did that all come about? Uh, yeah, well, I, uh, I flew my mom in the uh, week before the, uh, the game that we uh, played Cleveland Brown and me and my two oldest kids at the time were up uh, jumping around. I was playing some music. We were up jumping around, having some fun. And I just uh, said, Mom, if I score tomorrow, this is what I'm going to do. And it, it kind of started off where I just jumped in the air and kind of put my hands in between my legs. And uh, Ricky Dixon, who was our first-round draft choice that year, came up to me and he was like, Woods, Woods, what was that? I was like, oh, man, that was my celebration dance, man. And he was like, man, that thing was whack, man. That was whack. I said, what you mean, whack, Rick? He said, no, nah, you don't do that, man. He said, uh, so I said, well, what you think I ought to do, Rick? You think I ought to put some steps to it? He was like, yeah, yeah, man, put some steps to it. So that whole next week we we were playing the New York Jets. And that whole week, I'm thinking, what can I do to, you know, to, to make it simple, put some steps to it? And I couldn't come up with nothing. Five minutes before it was time to go out and get warmed up, it just hit me. And I said, Rick, Rick, check this out. This is what I'm going to do if I score today. I'm going to go one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, and I'm going to hop back three times and spike the ball. He was like, oh, yeah, it, man, that's going to be live. That's going to be live. And I just tell everybody, I just I was fortunate enough to be in the right place at the right time. We were winning ball games, and we made it to that Super Bowl. We made it to the Super Bowl that year, and that's that's probably one of the main reasons that it caught on. If I was on a, a losing team, it, it probably wouldn't have caught on. And it was uh, just so having to be in the right place at the right time, and and by the grace of God, I was able to uh, create a dance that uh, that swept the country. You know, as, as we promoted this, I can't tell you how many people reached out to us and, and still talk about it to this day and, and have such fond memories of, of watching it, those games and watching you do that. Did you have any oh, yeah. idea that this would become so iconic? I really didn't. You know, I was just actually trying to uh, create something for our fans because, uh, you know, I never did it away from home. It was always in front of our home our hometown crowd, so I never shuffled on away games. Uh, something to get our fans rocking and to get the jungle rocking that we played in. And so uh, fortunate enough that, uh, that we were undefeated that year and uh, at home and, you know, was able to make it to the Super Bowl. So we wanted to move on to, to gridiron greats as much as we could just listen to those stories all day. But, uh, you know, you, you had some firsthand experience with them. You, you suffered a knee injury earlier in your career and they were yeah. able to, you. can you talk a little bit about how gridiron greats was able to help you? And then we'll get more into. Yeah. Uh, well, I was, uh, I was doing a little, some promotional stuff for gridiron greats down at the Super Bowl in Miami. And, and we just so happened to, um, uh was at a golf outing and you know i don't know what i did i don't know how i did it but i tweaked my knee somehow on the putting putting the golf ball 
And the whole rest of the the time that we were down there, I was limping around, and I and the guy who I was riding with, uh, I said, man, I said, man, I, I said, I'm sick and tired of this, man. I, I won my workman's comp disability against the Bengals, but every time I want to get something done uh, to help my injuries, you know, they de- they deny my claim. I have to pay for it out of my pocket, and then I have to turn around and and sue them, you know, to try to get the money back. And I said, I don't have the means to to get knee surgery, man. I said, I'm I'm sick of I'm sick, man, because I've been going through pain for seven years now. And my man was like, well, you know, what if we can get your knees done for you? Will you be willing to do it? And I was like, yes, I sure would. And he said, okay, well, I'll tell you what. When you get back home, I'm going to give you a call, and, and we're going to make arrangements to get it done. So I'm thinking, okay, well, he's going to call me, and we're going to talk about, you know, getting it set up and get it done. So I get back home, man. The guy calls me about a week later. He said, okay, Icky, are you ready? You know, we ready to get your knees done. I said, what do you mean, get my knees done? Yeah, we can get you into the doctor and, you know, probably get them done within the next couple of weeks. I'm like, oh, no, no, man, I ain't ready for that, I say. But, yeah, I do want to get them done. I say, you know, I I don't even know how long I'm going to be on the shelf. I don't know how long it's going to take to recover. I say, I need to find all that out so I can plan to have this knee surgery. I can't just just take off and get it done. I got the the plan for it. And so I was able to talk to the doctors and everything, and they told me it would probably be a two-month process to rehab and, and get everything uh, back going where I'm probably walking on my own again. So I was able to, uh, a year later, I was able to get both my knees uh, replaced. Uh, didn't cost me anything. Gridiron grades pay for everything. So I was uh, I was real fortunate to, to have that happen. And so I'm a, I'm a firm believer in the, in the gridiron grades and everything that they do to help former players who really can't help themselves, you know. You know, and, and a lot of people don't realize that, you know, they think professional athlete and they think immediately millionaires, they think that they can cover all of this and that, that, that injuries are covered by the end. The well, NFL, you have to it's really not also, the case. <laughs> no, it's not the case at all. You know, once you stop playing football, especially in our era, when we played back in the eighties, the seventies, the sixties, man, those, those guys, you know, we didn't have the guaranteed contracts. And we weren't making the millions and millions of dollars that they're making now. So you can't base uh, our situation on the guys that's playing now because you're right. The guys that are playing now are become instant millionaires once they become a professional player. But it wasn't like that 30 years ago, 40 years ago. You know, we had to get jobs after the season. We wasn't making that type of money. So – you know, we're we're the average everyday Joe just like everybody else is. So, you know, we I didn't ha I didn't get a chance to make the millions and millions of dollars that, that these guys are making now. None of us older guys had an opportunity to do that, you know. So it's uh it's unfortunate but, you know, we have to we have to live day we have to live our lives day by day and we gotta, you know, depend on going out and being able to work but with our bodies being so banged up is is hard to do that, and I'm and I'm hoping the NFL to step up and and start helping these guys the way Gridiron Greats are trying to do. So, as as average Joes, you got to tell us 
what do pork rinds have to do with the Gridiron Greats Assistance Fund? Well, the pork rinds have a, a lot to do because they do a they do a lot of raising funds to help Gridiron Greats help the guys, and so that's that's why we have the Pork Rind Appreciation Day. Uh, it's the uh, small batch recipe. They got all different types of flavors, and fruits. The pork rinds are good, man. I love them with a little hot sauce, man. And we, have, I have some fun with them that way. We got a a, a bunch of guys who support this this uh, uh, program, like Jack Youngblood, Andre Reed, Billy White, Sue Johnson, Kenny uh, Houston, uh, Reggie Kelly. So you got a bunch of gridiron, a bunch of uh, legendary guys who support this, who gridiron great have have helped in the past, and and we just uh, try to help them help other players. And Pork Rind Appreciation Day does that, and uh, Rudolph Foods, who uh, is is the subsidiary uh, who owns uh, the gridiron, uh, the pork rinds, have done a great job in donating to help the cause. So last one for me, you know, we, we like to talk about the impact that athletes can have on the community and the platform that they have. You're somebody who, who truly has used that platform. You've got the Icky Woods Youth Foundation. You have the Javante Woods Foundation after your son who passed away that raises money and funding and education for asthma research and organ donor education. Can you talk about what it's like for you to be able to give back and impact the community through this work? Well, it's, it's great, man. It's, it's great to be able to save a life. You know, it, it hadn't hadn't been great as of late with all the uh, COVID restrictions because we're not able to uh, raise money because we're we're not able to social distance. So uh, we're trying to find new and inventive ways to to help raise money and 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 keep uh, keep the mission going. So, uh, but it's uh, as you know as well as everything, it's. It's been tough on everybody with this pandemic going on, but we we love giving back. We love to put a smile on faces that wouldn't normally be there. You know, just being an athlete or, or being someone who's legendary, who names carries a little weight. It's always good to to put your name to a good cause and help others. Well, we'll make sure to put the information for the organizations out uh, on how people can give to Gridiron. Uh, do you have a website or anything that they can find out more information? Yeah, my yeah, my website is Jovante and that's spelled J O V A N T E Woods Foundation dot org. So they can go on there and, and support uh, my son's foundation as well, and and we uh, cater a lot to uh, asthma. I lost my son to asthma, so we do a lot in the asthma community. We will make sure to put the information out there. We'll also put the Gridiron Greats information out there. Thank you for giving us a few minutes, and uh, best of luck with everything going forward. I so appreciate it, man. You guys uh, stay good and stay strong, man. Be safe out there. Have a great day, Icky. Jeff, All right, uh, brother. You do the same. Jeff, always a blast right. to get to All right. some of these. Pleasure. Things. Pleasure. Thank you. Jeff, it's always a blast to, to get to talk to them. That, that was fun. I can't tell you how, how many people just like it told me it brought a smile to their face, knowing that we were going to have Vicky Woods on. And, and you know, it, it is a shame that because he had such a great beginning of his career that if he hadn't had those knee injuries, how great that career would have been and yeah. how many more shuffles he would have done. But let's 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 talk about that later and shuffle on to our next guest.
Yeah, let, let's get a little ice hockey talk going. We got Sam Carcitti from the Inquirer on. Sam, I, I'm ready to for you to tell me, when can I see some Flyers hockey? My guess is uh, January 13th, but uh, uh, that's what the league is floating out there anyway. But uh, they still have some obstacles, and uh, I expect some kind of decision to be made next week, uh, probably in the middle of the week. There's a lot of things to iron out, and, including COVID protocols, whether the games will be played uh, in home arenas or whether they'll have a bubble for each of the four divisions. Uh, the economics, the labor issues have been resolved. The, uh, as you probably know, the, the owners tried to uh, get the players to, uh, to tweak the CBA a little bit on things that were agreed upon in July, and the players had none of that. So, uh, you know, we just have basic issues that uh, on where to play the games, when to play the games, when training camp will start. And uh, it, it looks like training camps will probably start January 3rd. If that happens, the season would start January 13th with no exhibition games. But as I said, everything is fluid. Everything is moving, um, even the divisions. You know, they, they thought they had the division set up. And uh, the last couple of days, it looks like some teams are going to be switching divisions. So it does look like, though, the Flyers and Penguins will be in the same division, which is a, a good thing the way it should be. It shouldn't even be a question. But uh, – as I said, the NHL still has some things to iron out. Uh, best case is January 13th. With the divisions, are we going to see that all-Canadian division happen? Yeah, no question. Uh, because of travel restrictions caused by the pandemic, uh, you know, we will see all seven Canadian teams together. And, uh, and, and it's going to get tricky because, you know, the way it looks, it appears four teams in each division will make the playoffs. So four of seven, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, more than 50% are going to make it in that division. But what happens, you know, once we get past the second round? In other words, uh, one plays four, two plays three, and then the winners meet. And then after that, the Canadian teams are obviously going to have to cross over and play in the U.S. and vice versa. So, you know, that's another thing that the uh, – <laughs> the NHL has to figure out now they're hopeful, I guess, because of a vaccine and, and uh, maybe fans being allowed in the, in arenas, they're hopeful that that will not be an issue, but you never know. That could be an issue still, you know, if borders are still closed when the playoffs start, um, you know, in May, um, we're going to have a major issue and, and maybe they'll play games in, in bubble cities again for the, for the Canadian teams in, in a playoff. But, uh, that is to be determined, but uh, the NHL has a lot on its plate right now, and uh, you know, hopefully, the vaccine will uh, alleviate a lot of these questions. And I think what they'll do, I think what they'll say is that uh, the playoffs uh, will be announced, uh, the format, and uh, where the games will be played. That will probably be decided at a later time. You know, Sam, that, that's all stuff to be decided down the road. My big concern right now is, are these guys get, able to get in shape? Uh, you know, we're used to seeing them at the skate zone, you know, this close to a season starting, all playing together. Obviously, they're scattered throughout the globe. A lot of them probably don't have access to ice rinks and things like that. What have you been hearing about how the Flyers have been keeping in touch with the players and whether the players are keeping themselves in shape to the, the best ability that they can? Yeah, good question. But most of the players, and in fact, all the players I've talked to, 
actually have been skating. And, uh, you know, I talked to James Van Riemsdyk the other day. He's in Minnesota. He just built a new house there. He's got a, a state-of-the-art gym in his house, and he's been able to skate four or five times a week, uh, you know, close to his house. And, uh, you know, most of these guys I've talked to have been skating uh, at least three or four times a week, and uh, they all been working out five days a week. Ivan Progro has been in Voorhees for over two months now, and uh, he's been skating probably four times a week. He's been lifting weights five times a week. Um, you know, he, he's a machine Progro. He will be um, close to, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say they'll be 100%, but I think Progro will be close to 100%. I think most of these guys will be, you know, 85%, 80% when they get into camp. And I think by the time the season starts, you know, they'll probably be more like 90 to 95%. Um, and then uh, they'll gradually get into being in 100% shape once the season starts. And they're going to be in, in pretty good shape because I think the schedule is going to be a lot more condensed. Right now, the plan is to play 56 games. That's if the season starts on January 13th. If the season starts, say, February 1st, then you're looking at maybe a 48-game season. Uh, still condensed season. You're going to have a lot of a lot of games, three games and four nights and back-to-back games. For that reason, uh, the, the number one goalie probably is is not going to be able to play, you know, 80% of the games or 85% of the games. And, and with the Flyers, of course, Carter Hart, you know, maybe he'll play 70, 75% of the games. But they're going to need uh, a lot of contributions from Brian Elliott. Elliott's a, a solid pro. I don't think that'll be a problem. But on some teams, you know, where where there's clearly a, a number one and the number two is uh, maybe a, a rookie or somebody that's not tested and, and maybe not even the same same stratosphere as the number one guy, that could be a problem. So it's going to be interesting. You, you're going to have to have two solid goalies. There's no question. And uh, the NHL is also trying to decide how many players are on a roster. As you know, right now you're allowed 23 they're kicking around having 26, and I would think you would carry an extra goalie there too. So Alex Lyon would probably travel with the Flyers. And uh, they're also going to have a taxi squad, and that could add even four more players that travel with the team. So uh, this should all be announced next week. And, uh, you know, like I said, hopefully we have a 56-game season. But, uh, uh, you know, we're we're getting close to a deadline. I think they almost have to announce it next week because players have to come in and they have to quarantine. Some have to quarantine for a week, some maybe a little bit longer. So every time we have you on, we ask the question, how's Nolan Patrick doing? Yeah, the, Nolan Patrick has been very uh, quiet and evasive. And, and uh, uh, I'm told from people in the organization, he's been scrimmaging in Manitoba. Uh, he lives in Winnipeg and, and he's been scrimmaging. And he's done well. And uh, also told by somebody, uh, one of his teammates, that uh, that talked to him, um, you know, within the last month, that uh, the headaches are subsiding and he's sleeping a lot better. So these are all good signs. Uh, I actually tried to talk to Nolan about about his progress, but uh, uh, he doesn't want to talk about it now. So the bottom line is, we will not know until he comes into camp and and uh, and and really has contact. I think contact is the number one thing with him. As you know, he had the migraine disorder last year and the headaches were uh, really debilitating. And, uh, you know, 
contact, and he's and he's going to have to. Uh, we're going to have to see how he is the next day, the day after that. But all signs are positive. Uh, Chuck Fletcher went on record and saying he is going to play this year. Uh, whether he's ready for the start of the season, that remains to be seen. But he he makes this team. If he's 100, percent he makes this team so much better because it, it drops Scott Lawton probably down to the fourth line center. And uh, I think Patrick, if healthy again, uh, is ready to have a breakout year. He had two two seasons of 13 goals. I think last year was going to be a breakout year for him simply because he, you know, he's a year more mature, a year stronger, and most importantly, he's now going to have better matchups as a third line center as opposed to when he was here the first two years and and the previous year, his last year he played. He was a second-line center. The matchups were not as good. But, of course, they picked up Kevin Hayes, and that slides Patrick down to number three. And and uh, just getting better matchups is going to do a world of good for him. So, you know, hopefully he can go early in the season. And as I said, he gives this team so much more depth and, and makes them a lot better, no question about it. And we got about five minutes, and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you. Uh, Philly's great Dick Allen passed away this week. I, I saw your Facebook post about him. You've been a longtime proponent of him belonging in the Hall of Fame. For people in the city, if they somehow didn't know how good Dick Allen was, everything he overcame, what he meant to the sport, can you give us a couple minutes synopsis of what, what made him so special? Yeah, I'll tell you what. As, as a young, impressionable kid in the 1960s, uh, Richie Allen, that's what we called him back then. He, he didn't want to be called Dick till later on in his career, but uh, Rich, Richie, Dick Allen – Whatever you call him, he was an awesome power hitter. The likes, you know, I have never seen in Philadelphia. I'm talking about the distance in his home runs. I, I can't tell you how many times I saw him hit a ball over the roof in left field, which, you know, not many players could even reach, you know, the roof on top of it. It was a double-deck bleachers out there. And, uh, you know, he would hit home runs that disappeared over – over the light towers and over the build, the Alpo signs and the uh, Cadillac signs on, on top of the roof to go over that. And in the North Philly night, I saw him hit home runs. Connie Mack Stadium uh, at one point was 447 feet to dead center field, which you never see nowadays, but uh, that's a mammoth jolt. And beyond that, they had uh, the batting cages that they used for pregame uh, batting practice. They would wheel them in, and then at the end of batting practice, they would wheel them back out, open the door where the 447 sign was, and then put the batting cage in there. Beyond that was a flagpole. And I I saw Richie Allen hit home runs over the 447 sign, <laughs> over uh, the backstop back there, over, you know, past the flagpole. So, yeah, you're talking about 500, 530 home, foot home runs. And they were just majestic shots. And, and the great thing about him was that he could hit balls just as far to right field. He was a right-handed hitter. He had the strongest wrist I've ever seen. He, he used a 42-ounce bat and wasn't overly big, especially by today's standards. It was maybe 5'11 and, uh, you know, maybe 195 pounds. But his wrist uh, and his forearms, they were like tree trunks, and he just – you know, he waved that bat around, and a 42-ounce bat is probably about eight ounces heavier than than most uh, the, most of the bats the players use. And he would just swing the bat like it was a twig. I mean, like it was a toothpick. And uh, just the quickest, uh, 
swing, quickest release. He had problems when he came up uh, fielding because Gene Walk was the manager back then, and Allen had played shortstop. He had played the outfield. They put him at third base, a new position, and uh, he really struggled, but he worked hard to get better as a fielder. Later on, he moved to first base, played a lot of left field. Uh, but as you mentioned, uh, the obstacles that he had to overcome, um, you know, I, I was fortunate. I got to uh, interview Dick. He came back to the Phillies. Um, he ended up being traded from the Phillies to the Cardinals and kicked around with the Dodgers and had great years with the White Sox and won an MVP with the White Sox. And, and he came back to the Phillies in 1975. I was fortunate I got to interview him then, and, and I was a young reporter, and he – um, at that time, he, he kind of steered the conversation back to Little Rock, Arkansas. That was the Phillies farm team back then, their top farm team. And it was not a good place for uh, a black player at th- that time. And he endured so much racism. And he still wanted to talk about it in the 1970s. It, it was still painful to him. And, uh, you know, just the insults that he received down there. And it, it just it just was not a good fit. And... Uh, Sadly, it, 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 it was America in the 1960s, and he endured a lot. He endured uh, the racial taunts. Uh, he endured uh, a new position. And uh, when he came up here, he became Rookie of the Year in 1964, and he was the catalyst. Him and Johnny Callison, Jim Bunning, Chris Short, they were the catalyst to a Phillies team that came out of nowhere and should have won the pennant. They were six and a half games up with 12 to go, and the rest is history. They blew the pennant and, uh, uh, you know, never got close again during Allen's tenure with the Phillies. But, um, you know, for, for that, his first decade, you look at all the numbers now, uh, you know, his, his on base, his uh, slugging percentage, uh, he was the premier player in baseball for a 10-year period. His numbers were better than Willie Mays, you know, um, better than Hank Aaron better than Frank Robinson. I mean, these guys are all Hall of Famers. So to me, there's there's no question he should be in the Hall of Fame. And, and it's just sad that, uh, uh, you know, he passed away and, and that he isn't in there. there. There was a lot of shady things done with the Veterans Committee. And uh, it's just sad that he didn't get in. But thankfully, the Phillies, you have to salute them. They retired his number uh, last year, and, and uh, his 15 will never be worn again by a Phillies player, and, and uh, it meant so much to him, and, and it was such a gratifying day for him and his family, and, and I'm just so, so happy he, he at least got to experience that. And we definitely hope <clears throat> he makes it into the Hall of Fame. Uh, Sam, thanks always for your time. We look forward to more hockey stuff, more Dick Allen stuff, and always talking to you. Uh, you have a great one. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. Happy holidays to you. Same to you. All right, Jeff. We, we got the interviews in. We got the read in. That was a lot of stuff right there, man. <laughs> From the icky interview right to Sam to to the flyer stuff. Dick. Yeah, Adam. Well, we didn't we didn't ask the hard hitting question. What we should ask Sam is if he has his own dance and zone end zone the dance or, or or goal <laughs> dances. A hockey world may think, but the, the Sam shuffle. Yeah, I guess. But, you know, I'm sitting here and as Sam was talking, not, you know, obviously we can talk flyers, but about Dick Allen, it really is a shame that the Hall of Fame did not put him in. His, the, the, the percentage of votes was actually going up and they have this arcane rule that after a while, they just stop having you on the ballot. I think it's 15 years, but I don't recall. 
and it doesn't make any sense at all. He was close and here. He was like a vote away or something. Where? He was. I think he was a lot. No, closer no, 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 no. Fame ballot, wasn't he? Mm-mm. No, I think the highest he ever got. That so looking at the highest percentage he ever got in vote was eighteen point nine percent, and that was in the second to last year on the ballot. So you don't think he's ever going to make it, do you? I do think, I mean, they have, they used to have the veterans committee. Now they have something, I don't know if it's called the legends committee or something like that. And I think that he will get in, but you know, when things like this happen, you just sit there and say how tragic it is that he does, doesn't get to experience that, you know, that it's going to happen. So the, the wave of, of, of sympathy and, and, you know, regard for a player often when they pass away, uh, you see it go up and you just go, it should have happened during their lifetime. And Dick Allen is one of those guys that it should have happened. You know, everybody who saw him play back then, you know, talks the way Sam talks about him, the legendary home runs, the way he played the game, the way he changed the game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the stories about him, I, I enjoyed hearing that, you know, going back to the flyers, um, you know, Nolan Patrick, nobody seems to know anything, Jeff. It's just a mystery. The, the, yeah, the Nolan, the Nolan Patrick thing is scary because, you know, it, it is a concussion thing. And it's not like this city in particular hasn't gone through it with one of its stars with Chris Pronger. So it went we, through we, with Eric Lindros, too. Right. Flyers, we've done this. Yeah. And, and just for Nolan Patrick is happening at the beginning of, of a promising career. But it, it does seem that all's quiet about, you know, What's going on with him? And I think everybody's just being cautious and kind of you know, the first time he plays and the second time he plays and probably at least the first series, every time he gets hit in a corner, I guarantee you everybody's going to wince. And, and yeah. people are going to wonder, you know, if he comes out and doesn't go out for the next shift, you, we're all going to be looking. You know, the day that we get back into arenas, the second he comes off of his shift, if he's shaking his head or his head's down or something happens, Everybody's going to be looking to see if he leaves, he leaves the bench. Yeah. If he's okay. And um, look, I never thought that Oscar Lindblom would come back and play before Nolan Patrick would have told me when everything happened last year. And so it just goes to show you, particularly with the head, the the amount of uncertainty and the, the people really have around it. Everybody responds differently. Hopefully he's, he's getting better. Let's go back to Icky Woods for one second, man. Was he fun? He, he was, was. He was. I mean, we 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 could have easily done an hour with Icky Woods. I mean, it, it's a it's the one thing. The beauty of our show is that we get to do what are longer form interviews than the three to five minute hits that that you get on some stations. So we do get to learn a lot more. But it all every time we learn something, it opens something else. Uh, and I mean, we it sounds like he had a ton of stuff that we could talk to him about his one year in UNLV with with Randall Cunningham and Shug Knight. Uh, yeah, I got the impression he didn't want to really go there, which which I don't blame him. But it, but I did find, I mean, we were talking before the show and we were like, should we ask him about it? And, you know, because he is such a controversial figure. But, you know, our, our goal wasn't to ask him, you know, whether or not he saw Suge Knight holding somebody over a ledge. It was it was just, you know, you, you look up UNLV football. Well, first of all, for a lot of people, outside of people that are fans of Vicky Woods and Randall Cunningham didn't don't really know that UNLV had a football team. You know, we all think of it as as the the grandma teams with Jerry Tarkanian and basketball. But but then you're looking through it and the two most famous players are Icky Woods, Randall Cunningham, and then it says Suge Knight was on that team. 
and for our listeners, you know, we take you behind the scenes of the conversations we have before we go on the air. Look, we prep all week for interviews. That's just found that about seven minutes before we went on the air. We're sitting there going, do we ask it? And even yeah. while he was asking it, I'm messaging him in the chat going, you don't have to ask it if you don't want to. Oh, yeah. You're sitting there. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. You ask it. You ask it. And it's like, oh, I you know, wasn't asking it. You're a tough guy. I wasn't asking because look, is my, I love doing these interviews. I love learning about these guys and, and 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 their lives and what they're doing on and off the field and the court and the ice. But you know, it's it, you never know when or, when you're going to bring an interview to a screeching halt. You know, <laughs> that's like <laughs> the biggest fear all the time. We go yeah. up with questions and it's like you ask a bad one and then it just kind of veers off the road. It doesn't go. Yeah, and, and and for those people that don't know, I mean, look, uh, I'm. I think I think it's fair to say I'm less of a fanboy than than you might consider yourself. Yeah. Um, you think that's fair? Yeah, we, I, we've. I, I won't say who, but we. We we have had a particular guest on the show who I I got it you know I own very few jerseys that have people's names on them you know I I have jerseys but I don't believe in having people's names on them unless they're retired they've been out of the sport for a while and haven't gone to jail uh, you know. <laughs> there's a list <laughs> exactly it's a short list but it, it's a it's a list but you know and and I've always encouraged my son to do the same thing although he doesn't particularly listen um, but. We we had somebody on without saying his name who, who I did have it, and, and we, you you know how excited I got and it was not what you hoped for not what I was hoping for. <laughs> yeah those are always the point. but 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 Icky Woods is I mean he just he's not just a character I, you know I was one of the things I saw on on when I was researching him was you know and the NFL does these NFL greatest one hundred lists. And one of the lists is NFL's greatest 100 characters. Icky Woods comes in at number 57. He's one of the greatest characters considered. In, and and he did it and made that impression in a very short period. Of in time. like two years of actual playing football. Yeah. And, <laughs> I didn't realize he hurt himself playing golf. Well, no. he Well, his knees were bad before bad that. Yes. Yeah. And, and so the, the other thing is, and, and, having known a lot of professional football players is, is to see, and, and the fact is we are involved at times with the NFL Alumni Association, is, is you see that people assume professional football must be making a lot of money. They must be taking care of their injuries. In general, professional athletes, not just yeah. football, but particularly that because the salary numbers are so crazy at times. Yeah, but with, with NFL players, because of the injuries, I mean, people don't realize that the average, you, you see Tom Brady playing for 20 some odd years, that's not the way it works. Most players, the average lifespan of a player in the NFL is like three years. So you're on your rookie contract. And back in, in the 80s when, when Icky Woods came out, you know, they weren't making a ton of money. As he said, they had, they had jobs. And after it's over, they have to get medical insurance and they have to get by. And, and that's what the gridiron greats, what they're doing is, you know, you can have your opinions on Mike Ditka, good or bad. And some of the things he said are kind of out there, but He's set. He's been involved and set up this gridiron greats thing to take care of their own, and they yeah. and they've done a really they've good job that. taking care of their own. Yeah, yeah, they've done that. All right, let's leave our interviews there. We've got about eighteen minutes left until we have to hop off the air. Uh, let's go around the Philadelphia sports world because depending on where you're looking, there's lots of stuff going on. Yeah. All right, Jeff. I'm going to start with the Sixers. It is finally official. The Al Horford trade is done. Uh, Danny Green has arrived. Uh, I, you realize how ridiculous it is that yeah. you're saying it's finally official. And I believe there's games tonight. Yes. 
uh, it's uh, it took a little time because they couldn't do the paperwork on the weekend. Yeah, I mean, look, I went on my diatribe last week about this, so I won't do it again. But it is baffling that there are actual games this uh, weekend and, and they're just finalizing it. But so the fact there are games this weekend, James Harden is not playing for the Rockets right now. Uh, rumors continue to persist that there is smoke and fire of him towards the Sixers. Uh, you heard Doc Rivers say yesterday those aren't coming from us. Do you believe that well, there they is, can't become that would be called tampering? So do you believe there is truth to the rumors about it. And would you do a deal before we talk about the deal? OK, so here, here's first of all, the rumors are people who are looking for clickbait to start stories there. There's been no rumor that the Sixers are in talks with the Rockets. It's that the most likely destination would be the Sixers, okay? And I don't know where those are coming from. And it's sad that the Sixers have have dug themselves out of the hole that we all were crying about at the end of last season with the, with the amazing work that Daryl Morey's done. And all we're talking about is a player who's not on the team two weeks before we start a season. And I don't know how you expect to get that player on your team without messing up everything that Daryl Morey has just done. We have now taken the strengths and weaknesses of Ben Simmons and Embiid, and by making the moves that they've made, have now made everything strengths. The pieces all fit when in a time where last year we were crying, the sky was falling and it was just going to be a disaster for the next, you know, five to 10 years. They're making it fit. What are you going to do now? The only way you get Harden, unless Harden makes it even more difficult on the Rockets. And he, by the way, he is just being difficult for the sake of being difficult. What he has done by going out to Vegas and, and, and being seen without masks with people and partying, I get it. Harden's one of these guys. He's a character. He's screwing his current teammates. Okay. He should not be doing Now he's got to get six straight COVID tests, uh, negative results before they even let him in there. And again, they're starting games this weekend, preseason's game. He can't be there. He's being selfish. And, and I thought when they made the trade for John Wall, that was his buddy. How, if you're John Wall, how do you feel right now? And, and the reason I bring all this up is because that's another reason I don't want James Harden. The last thing that we need right now is, is somebody who could be a malcontent or could cause problems off the court. We, we already have Joel Embiid. We need him in the right frame of mind. We don't need Harden here saying, hey, let's go out and party some more. So I don't know how it fits. And I don't know if it is a fit personality-wise and the rest of the way, because the only way you get him is Simmons. You get significantly older as a team making that move. Well, I'm not, I'm not worried about age because Harden, I think, still has a lot of good years in him. But remember, his contract, he, he still would, I think he's gone after next year. So you're going you're gonna to get rid of a guy who's much younger. When you're talking about age, you're getting rid of a guy who's much younger, who has all this tremendous up, upside. Now, we all sit there and go, Ben hasn't shown that he wants to shoot the three. Ben hasn't shown that he wants to shoot the jumper. Everybody keeps saying he's the next LeBron James. If he, if he, once he gets that, and he's going to, is what people say. Now, if that's the case, I don't know if you want to give up on that for a year or two of Harden when I don't think that it necessarily puts you over the top. It put, may make you closer, but I don't think that you then say, All right, let me ask you the question. 
if James Harden's on this team and Simmons is in Houston, are the Sixers the front runner in the Eastern Conference to make it to the NBA Finals? No, but I don't think they're on it if Simmons is on the team either. Okay, so but yeah, but if, if you're going to make that trade, but no, I I don't think so. And you I you need to be there. I still don't understand how the pieces fit and what else you're sending because. To get Harden, you're going to have to send draft picks. You're going to have to send probably other salary. So that means other players are gone. So now you deplete your bench that you were building up to have this second team that can go in and play when Embiid and Simmons need to rest on when you got games on back-to-back nights for, again, a condensed schedule like Sam was talking about in the hockey. And so I just don't understand how it makes sense. I get the idea. But again, here's the thing that, that concerns me about it. You and I have talked repeatedly on the show about in the past, the Sixers ownership has wanted to win the headline. That wins a headline, but I don't know that it wins a title. They, they've won enough headlines in this very uh, short offseason. Now they have to win. You and, I, you and I can agree on that, but we're not the ones pulling the trigger. And so the question becomes, who is? Is it Daryl Morey? Is it the ownership group? Because I, I think that there's different people who make decisions differently. Well, I, look, we've we've asked insiders before Maury brought in who was making decisions on draft day, who was making decisions, you know, in general. And the answer we got from people like Keith Pompey was Doc Rivers is. He's the final say. I don't, I don't, we haven't had a chance to ask him, does that situation now change? I would think the answer is yeah, the situation changes. That Doc Rivers may still have the voice in there, but now Daryl Morey's making the final decisions. And we know that Daryl Morey has a relationship with James Arden. But having a relationship with a player doesn't mean that you that your personal relationship should get involved and mess up your professional relationships. And I think if Daryl Morey's smart, he won't make the the decision he may want to make with his heart, which could hurt the team in the short and long term. All right, I'm going to get to the NFL after the next thing because obviously we have to talk about it. TV changes, other changes. But I want to go to Phillies first, Jeff. This has been a week. So there were reports that the Phillies were shopping Zach Wheeler Mm -hmm. and the owner came out and said he wouldn't even trade him for Babe Ruth. Now doth protest too much. Wait, wait, wait. Can I, can I just say something? If somebody offers Babe Ruth now for Zach Wheeler, I wouldn't do it. Yeah, I wouldn't do it either. (laughs) Babe Ruth then. Middleton's comment literally was, I won't trade my pitcher for a corpse. (laughs) Good and job. After making that profound statement, <laughs> they went and brought in Dave Dombrowski to be the new president of baseball operations. Mm-hmm. All right. So I'm going to give you a little of his bio. So it's, it's interesting because Dombrowski, I didn't realize, was going to try to bring Major League Baseball to Nashville with an expansion franchise. And he wanted to be the head of baseball operations there. And apparently with COVID and everything else, the league has told him that that's going to be slowed a bit. So Middleton kept going after him and brought him on. He's 64 years old. He was the architect of the Boston 2018 World Series. He won World Series rings with the Marlins in 97, helped assemble their 2003 championship team. He had left for Detroit in 2001. Wait, you you forgot the Expos. Well, that goes back to 95. That outfield right. that he put together, Moise Blue uh-huh. and Marquise Grissom and that Pedro Martinez roster. He he built the farm system back in in the late eighties uh, for the Montreal Expos. 
He's but not known now for building farm systems. He's known well, for see, creating away talent to get players. But see, that's my the reason I'm bringing it. If I'm bringing up the Expos, as much as you know, I, I like the nostalgia of the Montreal Expos. I'm bringing it up because I'm saying that was a long time ago. Is, okay, is so he is, is he, he going to be the the new thinker? To, uh, of the new major league baseball or is he just going is he just another guy that's a member there was a guy named brought here recently named mcphail he was just as big a name if not bigger that didn't work so is he more andy mcphail or pat gillick because he's not a new school guy he's been in forever but pat gillick came here and had a track record and oversaw the building with Ruben as the general manager. Now from the press conference here, it doesn't sound like they're in a huge rush to sign a general manager. Maybe people still aren't looking to move for their job yet or something like that. Uh, But you know, his comments today, um, he basically said, no one thinks the Phillies are one player away from the postseason, which is nice to hear somebody acknowledge reality. Um, I consider it. No, wait, wait, wait. I didn't, I did not hear that comment. So what concerns me about that comment was you just said that he said, they're not one player away from the postseason, not the world series. That scares me. He said, that that was making excuses. He said, I consider it a retool, not a rebuild. And then he said, there's no difference. Usually when you go into an organization, there's a reason the club's been struggling a little bit. I didn't hear like we're going for a World Series next year. You call out the postseason word. Uh, he talked about how obviously there would be money to spend, but then there are limits to what that money is. Look, I feel better knowing that he's there than Matt Clentak. Because yeah, keep um, in mind, I, I know people are going to sit there and say Dave Dombrowski was a guy who brought the Red Sox their 2000 was it a 2018 World Series. That was selling the soul of the Red Sox for that World Series. And yeah, you want to win a World Series, but he brought in David Price. David Price signed a seven-year, $217 million contract. How'd that work out? He brought in Chris Sale. Chris Sale had a good season, but then what happened to Chris Sale? He blew out his arm. That was another big deal. The Red Sox were in, in, in cap purgatory. The last two years, which is which was my question, because that's what he's been known more for recently. And look, you and I have covered the the farm system. They sold their part for JT Real Muto. That was the the crown jewel of the system. He's not here to move, and so you know. Well, did Middleton promise him more stupid money? You know, he's never going to live that down, right? You realize that 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 Middleton's entire ownership legacy will always be around that statement. That that's like the, Jeffrey Lurie saying the gold standard for the Eagles. Mm-hmm. Like he can't make that's like the them coming. No, out. no, no, no. I disagree. I just dis, here's why I disagree because I think that Jeff people will forgive Jeffrey Lurie because so they got a Super Bowl, right? Yes. If they, the Phillies get a World Series, then all is forgotten. But if there's never, if there's not a World Series on Middleton's watch, or we go another decade and there's no World Series, that stupid money comment's going. And and look, it, there's nobody that's going to be a bigger critic than the guy that I'm looking at right now, because <laughs> because you're you're going to bring up JT Realmuto every single time. Yes, if he doesn't get signed here, because you don't make the move if you're not willing to keep him, and if you're not it's willing to not, spend stupid money. This is not. 
difficult, Jeff. <laughs> this really is not difficult. Let's go to a much more fun and exciting topic. The Eagles. Let's get there. <laughs> okay. So Carson Wentz isn't our quarterback anymore, Jeff. Uh, I guess I should put away my Wentz wagon t-shirt. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking you should, at least for a couple weeks. Although this is this a good move? Worst. Well, you're doing it against the number one defense statistically. It's the <laughs> New Orleans Saints. Hey, so, kid, go out there. Good luck. And with and with your 12th different offensive line, be, and is there any more expensive toe than the Jason Peters toe? Because Jason Peters has just said, "Guess what? I'm done." Uh, <laughs> See you later. I'm going to have toe surgery. I respect what Jason Peters did throughout his career. This year? But I have texted you every week. I have blown up your phone on the plays that Jason (laughs) Peters has been made to look worse than rookies at times. And so I actually think that they're going to be better without Jason Peters in there because of the effort and play. And how much, and how much did they pay Jason Peters? They made sure to give him a raise to go to tackle to then move back to guard, but he didn't want to play at guard because he hurt his toe. I don't understand why they brought him back. I, I understand that he has had, he had a no, great no, 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 career, no, no. but you they do should understand not have brought him. They brought him back because they haven't effectively drafted offensive linemen because they've taken flyers on players that haven't worked. And now they've got holes and mm. aging players and need to bring back a guy like Jason Peters who holds you up for a couple million dollars to move outside the tackle because you didn't have enough depth on the line to fill in when you had the injuries. All right. So this week they're playing the Saints, but it's the Saints without Drew Brees, which last time I checked, I think the Saints are like 8-0 when Drew Brees doesn't play. Uh, I don't want to hear about Taysom Hill and how great a quarterback he is. He's not. Okay. He's a versatile, he's, he's a a, a Swiss army knife. Uh, That that's the kind of guy that he is. Um, This saints team still has way too many weapons on both sides of the ball. He also doesn't turn the ball over and the Eagles aren't a defense that has forced turnovers. I think they have three turnovers all season or some crazy low number like that. And is Peterson going to run more to protect Hertz? That will make everybody lose their minds because they've been asking for it with words. Wentz, I think he's going to do everything that we've asked of him to do all season with Jalen Hurts. I think he's going to roll him out at times. Right. I think he's going to run the ball. I, I think, and the thing you saw, look, in the little wait, time- Wait, wait, wait. Hurts, if they, hold on before you go to that point. If they do that, does that is is that a bigger indictment on Carson Wentz? If they do everything that no, you thought that you I did, would they do it with a different person? I think it's an indictment on Doug Peterson and the game plan that he's called along with Carson Wentz. Carson hasn't executed when there's been opportunities. There's no denying that. But for a coach to come out and say, we're going to now establish the run, when you handed the ball off six times to your bell cow in the last week, makes no sense. You knew you had a quarterback who was taking chances who is not accurate, who is uncomfortable behind the line. And what do you do? You drop back 40 times and barely hand the ball off. It doesn't make sense. There's no original thought in this offense. Right, but you're, but you're saying there is going to be this week. So no, if, if, I don't if, think they, if they do it this week and it's successful, does that mean that Carson Wentz was, was the problem? No, I don't think it's. I don't. Why? Think, because well, how do you not know that that I don't that think Doug gonna, Peterson is is then saying I didn't have confidence in Carson Wentz to do these things. You never gave him the chance. Maybe he, because maybe he saw something at practice that we didn't see. 
because he saw that a seven-step drop behind a line that can't block for more than two seconds is definitely the best way to do it. I mean, well, come you're, on. You're let's pretty sure right. about this. <laughs> no, I, I think that Carson Wentz shares his portion of the blame for sure. He's regressed as a quarterback. He makes poor decisions. He doesn't look confident back there at all. He does not look like the same quarterback. Jalen Hurts came in the game. He dropped back. He threw the ball. He didn't hold it. He didn't wait. He got rid of it. Carson won't do that. That's separate from what Doug's doing in terms of setting up this offense or lack thereof. Tell me why Jordan Howard gets more carries last week than Miles Sanders. They signed him off the street like a week ago. And all of a sudden, he's he was the backup to the backup to the backup in and, Miami. And I'm not saying that because Miles Sanders is on my fantasy football team. I'm saying it because it makes no well, sense. in part, that's why you're saying it. how they use their personnel, the position didn't make the playoffs, put, did you? <laughs> the positions they put them in. Tell me again, why is Alshon Jeffrey on the field? Why? Travis Fulgham was the only person who could catch a football for weeks on this team. Now he sits on the bench so that Alshon Jeffrey can go there and not jump and not have any speed. If you're not watching the video feed, you should, because it's just me laughing at how angry <laughs> you are. Because if you go back and if, if we could do the old, let's go to the videotape from a couple years ago when they signed Alshon Jeffrey, <laughs> this was how I said this with the Alshon Jeffrey era was going to end. <laughs> you are right with how it would end, but he's not the player he was when they brought him here to begin with. But he, he was, he was a shell of himself when they brought him here. He should not be anywhere near the field. Now he and Jason Peters can go sit on the bench and collect their money. And you put players in. Well, no, you can't have them near the bench because somebody might step on his toe. <laughs> you can't be. Jason Peters has a toe to protect. Don't you have to figure out what you have now? Do you have receivers who can play football here or don't you? I don't How know. How holes do you yeah. have for next season? Look, the Here, Giants no, no, hold on. Hold on. We're going to compete. Take a deep breath. Division. Take a deep breath. Okay. So <laughs> here, here's what the Eagles need to do. There's only one thing that matters for the Eagles for the rest of the season playing Jalen Hurts to see whether or not he's the quarterback of the future. Because if not, they're going to have a high draft pick next year. And guess what? There's a lot of quarterbacks in this draft. Oh, great. So that we can now pay Carson's extension, which kicks in next year for him not to play because we can't get value to trade him. Or if we cut him, it's a $40 million cap hit. Doesn't, doesn't matter. You can't, you can't not do something because you're afraid of, of admitting the mistakes that you made. It's that's not, how you kill an organization. Not about being afraid to admit the mistakes. If you for the eagle for Howie Roseman, it is. If you end up getting a quarterback, it's going to be an a veteran backup at a minimum. You can't mm -hmm. draft a quarterback. Why you, not? You're going to pay him nothing. Because you need a linebacker, a defensive back, offensive lineman, receivers. You need players. You can't just keep drafting quarterbacks. They can't no. do that. All right, I'm t I'm telling you that if Jalen Hurts is not the quarterback that they would and, and they have a top five or top seven pick, they are taking a quarterback next year. That would be insanity. We we, we will we will work on on that bet uh, between this and next week. That that would just that would literally be the definition of insanity. I just ruined your weekend. We've got forty seconds left. Are <laughs> are Doug and Howie here next year to make those decisions? Yeah, like, are they coaching for their? spot in the organization these next few weeks yeah they'll be here oh, way to close yeah. on a fun note i know well i just figured i'd ruin your weekend <laughs> you're very good at that jeff you're very very good at that jeff that's going to be the last thought thanks so much for joining you this week mm -hmm. make sure to join us next friday night to help you start your weekend in style have a great one and we'll talk to you next week